is Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about friend and web design development. I'm Dave Rubin. With me is Chris Coyer. Hey, that's right. This is going to be a good one. We get a chance to to just dive into the pool of JavaScript again with a, a, a super special guest. We have Sarah V. Viera. Oh, I screwed it up again. Hi. No, you actually did not screw it up that much. You just left like a huge space because you thought you were going to screw it up. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Gosh dang. You can fix that in post. You know, I have a friend who's been on the show, Lara Shank, and her website is La- not Laura because she has the same problem. It's L A R A and it's, uh, but it's Sarah. Yeah. Yep, yep, that's perfect. Ah, and you're Portuguese, right? But living in in uh, Berlin, did I get that right? Yes, I am from Portugal. I moved to Berlin last year. Nice, fun. So you're a year into to Berlin land. Your t- t- Twitter bio is is hilarious. International agent of JSBS. So yeah, I was just uh, super excited to talk to you because you're just. I feel like uh, uh, truly an international agent of JavaScript and, and just neck deep in all this modern JavaScript stuff. So um, let's talk about JavaScript. Are you cool with that? You know, can you t- maybe just to to back up a little, share a little bit about your like your journey to JavaScript? You know, we don't have to have this whole thing be like an interview thing. I'd love to just dive into tech stuff, but I'd like to, you know, I'd like to know what your life is like. What you what, what you're motivates doing. you? Yeah. What makes you wake up in the morning? So, <laughs> if you wanted to move a mountain, how would you do? <laughs> yeah, how'd you do the code? Okay, so I started doing the codes uh, because uh, my dad said I couldn't do the codes, so I've learned how to do the codes. Oh, that's a great reason. I know, right? Just to just he tried to mansplain me at a very young age, and he failed deeply. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, he kind of won because I have zero other talent. So that's good. Uh, so then I started working and I got hired by a company because I knew how to do CSS stuff. But I don't mean like really fancy. I mean, like I could like flex things and they were like, this is incredible. You shouldn't. Yeah. Do you want a job? We give a job. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I want job. And they were like, that's cool. So then I learned JavaScript there. <laughs> and nice. then I got out. <laughs> it was very... Very, very productive. But now I can, I actually don't use the CSS tricks Flexbox thing because I transferred all of their things from floats to Flexbox. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Flexbox you know, is a wonderful Flexbox tool. Flexbox master. <laughs> I, I guess. Which, I mean, they're worse things. So something about JavaScript took for you though, right? Like, or, or do, you, do you use it because you have to, or is, do, you, do you love it or what? You know, like, I guess I'm interested in that, that flow a little bit. You know, if you look at your Medium blog, for example, it's all about like super fancy, you know, deploy your React app with Docker to, you know. Yeah, because I didn't know, I still don't know how to use Docker. I use that as a, like a thing of like, because I can go back and copy and paste it. Um but no, no, I really like JavaScript, but I never had the chance to learn it until I basically joined that company because I mostly did WordPress up until that point or PHP. Ah, so then when, right. I, when I learned that I could do like anything with JavaScript, it was like mind blowing to me. <laughs> it was insane. And it was Angular 1. So, um, oh, that was your was first like. Happy. Yeah, and I was still happy. So you got you to gotta give it to that. No, my first was jQuery. Like we use jQuery. But like I didn't, I didn't fully understand that you could build entire applications with JavaScript, because like we've only used jQuery and then the actual application was built with PHP. So I assumed that I've always like lived on that thing of like JavaScript is that thing that you add for the clicky things. But um, <laughs> you can make entire apps with it, and I find that incredible. And that's how I got into JavaScript. I wanted to see like what could I actually build that it didn't need a weird server language. Does this make any sense? No, it absolutely does. It's it's it, it's it has an empowering nature to it, right? That what you've you learned it a little bit, and then all of a sudden JavaScript grows up as this language and starts putting itself everywhere from the back end to our build processes to everything. And yeah. your like a, a little bit of knowledge turns into a truly empowering chunk of knowledge. Uh, and you know, it's it's that's yeah. pretty much it. I, I used it for the clicky things, and all of a sudden, I was making entire apps connecting to the PayPal and making people pay for stuff with JavaScript. And I was like, "This is incredible! Why do people <laughs> use other things?" <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, so uh, your website, I am Sara Viara. <laughs> uh, that was is not f- close anymore. Oh, I keep, it's getting worse and worse. 
Yeah, uh, it but happens. Th- the link will be in the show notes anyway. Is uh, <laughs> is awesome because it's 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 basically a stylized version of graphical, which is like a I don't know, like write the query on the left, see what the query returns on the right. Little tool that kind of ships with. GraphQL generally. I end up using it every day because I work in GraphQL. So it's, and then it's just such, I just thought it was an incredibly cool and clever thing to see you repurpose that as your, as the homepage of your website. So you're kind of a GraphQL fan as well, I take it. Yeah, no, I'm a huge GraphQL fan as well. I did that, uh, I did that actually when I was learning GraphQL, but um, I, I really, I really enjoy GraphQL. And I actually really enjoy writing servers in GraphQL which is something that I thought I would never say. But, well, here we are. Tell us. Tell us about it. Well, like, I've never really enjoyed the back end very much, as in, like, doing Node stuff. I don't know why, but when GraphQL came around, I was like, this makes sense. (laughs) For some reason, this made sense to me. And because I was just writing pure functions that returned a thing. And there was a lot of magic, but there wasn't that much magic. And I really enjoyed it. And because also... There was a graphical interface to it. And I think that's what drove me into it as well, is that I could actually see things. Like, right. un- unlike when you make, a, you make a post request and you get a JSON file, like you get a JSON, but inside a UI. And I was like, yes, this is, yes. <laughs> no, I've, really, I've actually really enjoyed building GraphQL APIs. It's weirdly calming. It's like my cleaning process. It's like cleaning, but... For your server. Yeah, you have to be super organized about it, right? So I, yeah. I, I think there's probably people like me out there who I, I deal with GraphQL, but only as like a consumer. You know, I just be like, oh, I know. I can use GraphQL to kind of describe what I want. And then I copy the query over to my code and now I have what I want. But so I guess it's possible to like use GraphQL, but not but not know it as surely as deeply as you do, where you're like writing the schemas too and writing the server that accepts the requests and all that. I don't know where I'm going with that necessarily, but like it sounds like you enjoy all of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I really do. And uh, I don't think you actually need to know a lot of GraphQL to use GraphQL. I think that's the kind of the beauty of it. Like you need some days to understand that that's like kind of JSON, but not really JSON. Kind of like a text, but not really text. And uh, mm. you need to understand why it needs like the weird tick things. But after that, like you don't really need to know a lot about GraphQL or is in, how it inside works for you to be able to use something like Gatsby, which is something that I appreciate. It's like, no one needs to care about the implementation details. You only need to get your thing and put your thing on the thing. <laughs> it's the most important thing. You know, I've done the part where you kind of, what, what, like faux JSON kind of, you know, and, and you kind of just type all the properties you want or all the, the things you want back. But I've never done the node part. Can you, like, what's involved in, like, writing that? You just kind of, do you have to, like, handle every case or does GraphQL kind of know how to connect to your database to do that? I've never done that part. Do you, can you like describe, I guess, how that all works on the back end? Yeah, sure. So from what I've done, like there are two main ways that you can use GraphQL in the back end. One of them is to connect to a REST API. Like you just, it's basically a middleware between your REST API and your, and like your client so right. that like backend okay. people so can graph in the streets, rest in the sheets. Exactly. Sort of scenario. Okay. <laughs> so that your backend people can still like write the gra- the normal REST APIs, and you don't have to go around and refactor every single code that you've written. And um, in that case, there's actually a helper from Apollo. So you can just you need to define the scheme of the things that you're gonna get, and you need to call that endpoint and resolve that basically. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you got an endpoint of users, for example, like all of, like a user, you need to define what that endpoint will receive, like what is the exact scheme of that endpoint, and then when you actually like there's a helper that basically says on this get the users and you will return, it will return by default that JSON, and you will do the auto magical thing of like if you only request a name, it won't actually get you the rest. Oh, I guess, and then like let's say a user has classes or something or that's probably a bad word for Jessica. let me use a different one user has books they have a bunch of books like then do you like write the kind of promise kind of thing that like okay now that i have a user i go get yeah i go find out where their books are right so the thing is like the that uh idea of that graphql makes you do less requests basically just hides your requests if you are like contacting a REST endpoint because you still have to do those requests, but you're doing it somewhere else. 
instead of doing it on the front end, mostly. Well, and your front end can be more expressive. You're yeah. Like, I want these things. Give me these things. You have to have that written in the back end. Yeah. To handle the, but yeah, okay. This is making more sense to me. I just thought it was like magic, like NPM install GraphQL and all of a sudden, like, I don't know, send it my database. No, and it's it works still. or something. I just, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like it's actually like, I think it's actually more work because you have to define your entire scheme and then everything just breaks if it's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also like one thing that we're so used to is putting a type of any or putting a type. This is an object. Have fun. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not a yeah, thing. It just Not a thing. barks hard. Yeah. So okay. like if anything is a type of object, you basically have to say what is in the object. Every single mm. thing that's in the object. And then you cry. Right. But then it ends <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily like... Stop you from needing to understand complex data structures in a way. Like if it's just like if you can describe something with really simple flat-ish JSON, that's cool. But uh, like I'm looking at your site, Sarah, and it's like you have your name and and your email address and your GitHub and stuff, and then you have talks, and talks is a little bit more complicated because it's an array and it has you know the name of the talk and the date of the talk and all that stuff but like let's say okay that seems straightforward enough i guess that's what i mean by flat even though it's not really flat but let's say like talks had an owner sarah but talks could have multiple owners let's say you allowed that so then in graphql you could query for like just talks like return me a bunch of talks or you could return talks by a by a particular user or a particular user's talks, like it can flip flop either way, and it like it confuses me on how. I don't <laughs> no, know, things was, just work. <laughs> yeah, it's just like sometimes of- one is nested in the one, and sometimes it's nested the opposite direction. And I guess that's what the schemas come in, or I don't know. Yeah, that's where like that's where schemas come in. So yeah, that's yeah no, that is literally where schemas come in. So Good. Cool. yes. <laughs> So, for example, in this thing, I made a GraphQL API for the World Cup. I have no idea why. I think I was just bored. And for each fixture, for example, like for each uh, team, you can get the players. But basically, to get the players, you basically need to request a team first. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You gotta go, I got to go ask for the team, Portugal, and then got to get the t- players for that team. Yeah. Yes. So one step, yeah. step but let's one say step. you didn't want to, let's say your API required that you also could ask for a player too, regardless of that. Is no, that you can still... get a player too. So, yeah. but in this case, to get players only gets a team ID, but it can get a, like in this, in this case, I don't think actually the actual API have that. If you, if you can get the ID of that player, you basically, you need to get the request and then re- respond like do a filter of every player that you get, for example, and return only that uh, one. Yeah, so it's right. just normal JavaScript functions. That's 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 the thing. Mm-hmm. That's how you write the the graph API. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and again, I, I think I you do that little bit of work, or maybe it's a lot of bit of work. Um, I'd love to know what you thought. <laughs> Is it a little bit or a lot of it? I think it's a bit. Like it's not. I don't think it's that much work. I think if you're already mm-hmm. making an API, it's not that much work. But um, if you've never seen a GraphQL API and you just want to make a simple, and I cannot stress this enough, if you're making an API that just gets the weather or something, like do not go like all of this stuff. Because in this case, I also set the cache. So for example, if you get the players, I say players and the team ID. And if it already exists, then just return it. And if it doesn't exist, then get the thing and set the cache. So if you return, if you ask for it again, then you don't have to. Yeah, super efficient. Yeah, so it has things that actually help, but it's, it's like if it's a simple thing, I don't think it's honestly worth it to like do all of this stuff. So that cache part is that because you mentioned Apollo once, and I'm kind of into. It, it seems to me almost like that when people talk about GraphQL, 75 percent of the time they're talking about their usage of it through Apollo. At least that's what it seems to me. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Just kind of like if you're talking about Git, 75 percent of Git usage is probably through GitHub. You know, there's plenty of alternatives and competitors and stuff. But that's what it means. Is that true for you too when you use GraphQL stuff? Where you just like it's Apollo no, in, town. in this case, the cache is literally an object. That's it. And then you put things into the object and check it out. But when I use it in the front end, yeah, it's usually Apollo. I'd have never used Relay in my life. Relay? I don't even know what you mean. Is that an Apollo alternative? You know, technically, Apollo is the Relay alternative. 
No. Yeah, really, it's a Facebook thing. It was released at the same time as GraphQL JS was, but like, pretty much everyone just uses Apollo. Yeah. Which is very nice. I like Apollo. Can you describe it? You know, like uh, a way that you know, like what what does Apollo give you when we're all t- with all this stuff we've talked about? So, for uh, any GraphQL request in the front end is basically a fetch, but as a post, and the body is your GraphQL request. So you yeah. can see how that gets ugly very, very fast. Um, so, and what Apollo gives you, I'm going to use the example that you're using it with either React or Vue, is that, um, first of all, it gives you components that automatically do a lot of stuff for you. So like you have a query component, for example, that query component, you basically just pass the um, the query that you want to give it and it handles the loading for you and it handles the error for you. Like you mm-hmm. can just return the data and the error and the loading, and you can just check if it's loading or not. So it handles all a lot of like the really annoying stuff that you have to deal every time. And it already has cache by itself, which is usually good, but sometimes it's really hard to invalidate your cache. But um, for example, if you go to the homepage of something and it lists a bunch of stuff, it already it saves it in the cache. And then when you come back to the homepage, that's already there. It's not going to try and fetch it again. Yeah, super efficient. Yeah, it's super efficient, basically. And um, it helps a lot with that kind of stuff. And it also like cleans a lot, a lot of boilerplate. Imagine that you had to get every single one of those things in a post request, in a fetch, and then you have to set the loading for every one of them. And that your state would just get huge. So it's all handled in the render, basically. So one thing that I've always did is that I created my own query components because the errors would always be the same notification, for example. And the loading would always be the same loading, so I would just get the data. So a query component and like is a like render function or something. I don't know what people call it these days. I think you just that's get the right. data and you just like map all over stuff because every website is basically a glorified map. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So it is. <laughs> Some of them are also just forms. <laughs> yeah, forms and maps. That's a, yeah. That could be a think talk. Of- Think. If you think about it, all of CodePen and CodeSandbox is just a form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where you're at now, right? It's you know, it's been a little bit, but you're a developer at CodeSandbox, right? Yes, I started. I started last month. Last month, so it's pretty. It's pretty fresh. Yes, still very good. I'm still in yeah. the honeymoon phase, so I can only tell you good things. So, <laughs> well, I'm back in a year, I may be <laughs> able to tell you bad things. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I've only been there since the 1st of March. I mean, I was helping with the open source project before, but technically I've only been there since the 1st of March. Yeah, right on. That's cool. Congrats on the new gig. Thank you. This episode is brought to you in part by WooCommerce. Today I want to tell you about three exciting updates to WooCommerce. The first one is that WooCommerce version 3.6 shipped recently and added product blocks. So you can build rich pages with blocks in sites running WordPress version 5 or higher that show products by category, best-selling products, hand-picked products, newest products, and products with specific attributes, and more. Super handy if you're using the new Gutenberg WordPress editor. The second cool WooCommerce update is the new WooCommerce mobile app for iOS and Android. You can track your store to see which products are performing best, check revenue, view and manage orders, and get real-time alerts notifying you about store activity like new orders or reviews. So be sure to search for WooCommerce mobile app on the iOS App Store or Google Play today. Finally, if you're running a WooCommerce site right now, you should check out the new dashboard for WooCommerce admin that the team released as a feature plugin. It's what's going to eventually be the default dashboard in WooCommerce, but you can check it out right now. You get all sorts of data and analytics on your WooCommerce store with a completely customizable dashboard, new reports, and a new activity panel to alert you to what's happening right now in your WooCommerce store. And if you'd like to see a WooCommerce store in operation, Go check out the CodePen shop at blog.codepen.io slash shop and try ordering yourself a shirt. The CodePen shop is running on WooCommerce and the shirt is one of my favorite shirts that I wear each week. Our thanks to WooCommerce for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. So, and you, you've done a ton of 
of of of traveling all around the world and stuff. I mean, you've written about it, and there's one, you know, one of your kind of viral posts. I'm sure of many was ab- about that in a way, and about how it's so cool at first, and then it kind of becomes less cool <laughs> over time. Perhaps is that a is that a past phase now? Have you found a way to balance that, or do you want to talk about that in any way? Yeah. So the main like the main issue at the time was that like I was. So, well, like, I've never had a lot of money, like, growing up. Like, I wasn't, like, poor. But, mm-hmm. like, I wasn't, like, rich. So, like, we didn't... I didn't travel much as a kid. Like, we just camped. Basically, like, my... The first time I went on an airplane was to go to a conference, actually. It was from Porto to Warsaw. It was, like, the first ever time that I got on a plane. So, like, my brain associated conferences with free travel and vacations. Because I didn't yeah. have money for, like, actual vacations. <laughs> Um, and so the thing, it was that I was also living in Porto, which is either the butt or the face of Europe. I'm not sure which one, but it's on the edge of Europe. (laughs) That's on the sign outside of the town. (laughs) (laughs) It's like all of Portugal is like the butt of Europe or the face of Europe. We need to figure this one out, but it's like the edge of Europe. Like there's only the ocean and then the U S that's it. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and the Porto airport is like, no one cares. So it doesn't have any flights to anywhere except France because all Portuguese people immigrated to France in the 80s. So now we have flights like Nantes. I don't even know where Nantes is, but there's a flight there. Um, So the problem was I always had to stop in airports. It's just I always had to stop in airports. I had this brilliant idea. You need to understand that I'm a very, very smart human being. Then I was just like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do like a bunch of conferences without going home. Because if I don't go home, I don't have to stop in Amsterdam again. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks like you had 50 one year, you said, right? That's that's in this post, which is, you know, one a week, which is, wow. It was, um, I got a little bit overly excited about that. <laughs> I also have, like, some problems saying no to things, mainly when they're free. <laughs> mm, yeah, I feel that. What, I guess, but... As a result, not like trying to focus on the positive. That sounds like a hell of a lot of travel. But like, do you, you did mostly JavaScript conferences in, in that like year, right? Yeah, and I did a lot of JavaScript and React, mostly React and JavaScript. Yeah. React. And I think I, you're at View Amsterdam. Is that right? Yeah. And, or emceeing that. And, um, that was cool. But I guess, do you feel like you have a pretty good like, perspective of like the javascript ecosystem from all of that i think i have some perspective from the javascript ecosystem like i've i've not met a lot of people from the angular community like i know some but i i think i gained a lot of a lot of perspective from like the react the javascript and the view community and uh, i just want to say that god bless the view people they have like they have karaoke in their in their in in their parties, and I'm just I'm just in love with that. Uh, but um, yeah, I feel like I got this weird, random bits of knowledge about either conferences or human beings or just a JavaScript community. And honestly, I feel like the best thing that I've realized is that all of the people that we look up to are also idiots. Usually, uh oh, we're all Zika. idiots. <laughs> And that makes it so much better. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's true. It's true. Everybody's an idiot. Yeah, I'll, but it's I'll, great. I'll, I'll own up to that for sure. That's in my speaking arrangements. I'm like, no one stand too close to me because if you find out I'm an idiot, this is a huge problem. For <laughs> <laughs> I'm very self-conscious about my idiotness. So what is it like? I mean, so you burned out a little bit on the conference thing. Hopefully that can... Um, you can find a way to to settle that. Oh, yeah, I'm still no, trying I'm to way figure it out. Now. I've tried to I've only accepted conferences that I really want to go to and uh, I've learned to say no and I've moved to a city that has direct flights. So I figure this one out. <laughs> nice. Good. All flights take an hour and 30 minutes now. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty I mean, central. I mean, sorry, it was not <laughs> you can say don't I don't want to answer this question, but it was like the move to Berlin like purely for oh god no 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 but it actually like, like it okay. helped but um okay okay because all both airports in berlin are really really bad but um so no my my move to berlin was mostly because i wanted to move out of portugal it had nothing to do with the flights but then when i got here 
because I didn't even know the second airport existed. So I thought there weren't a lot of flights here, but then I found out there was a second one, which is the bad one, but goes everywhere. Mm. And I'm like, this is great. (laughs) I won and I didn't even know. I don't even remember which one I went to. It was small. Oh, then it's Steagle. That's the good one. Mm -hmm. Then you're like, that's the good one. Yeah. So now imagine the bad one. Whoa. Exactly. Whoa. It's uh, Schoenfeld, <laughs> or as I call it, Schoenfeld, oh. as in hell. Schoenfeld? <laughs> I just remember what today was a completely unrelated, which was today I remember that when I went to um, uh, to Helsinki, their, like, their ha- airport code is H-E-L, so like hell, <laughs> but with only one L. And like there's a huge sign when you get in from the bus that says, welcome to hell. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. That's cool. I'm sure it's intentional. Nobody puts that sign up with that. No, it is intentional. If you've ever been to Finland, you'll realize that it's it's very, very intentional. I appreciate it. So you're, you know, you've had tons of experience flying all over the world, going to all these conferences, gaining some kind of perspective over the JavaScript ecosystem in a way. Like, what's going on, you know? Like, to somebody that I, I mean, I've been to a couple conferences, but rarely are they as JavaScript-focused as the ones that you're attending. They're like, tell us about what's going on. Like, who's winning? What's a big, what's a big topic? You know, like, what is this ecosystem like? Is is React is winning as it seems like it is? No, React is winning. (laughs) But not the point. Uh, it's um okay. So the thing about the JavaScript ecosystem is that people really want to build things. Like they're really happy about building things. So that's why we sometimes have JavaScript fatigue. It's mostly because if there's a lot of passionate people about building like stuff, they just want to build stuff, and that is that's what sometimes causes the fact that React itself has like five form libraries. But I die I diverse, um, and I feel like. Like, I think React is winning. I think there's so so many people using React. That doesn't mean that the other ones are losing. That means that React is more widely used, which may mean it's a good thing or it may mean it's the next Angular 1. Like, we don't know. Angular 1 was Mm. also used everywhere. What do you mean by that? Oh, because it was so ubiquitous and then all of a sudden it dropped off the map. Yeah, like, so everyone just stopped using it and realized that it wasn't scalable and stuff like that. Uh, so like that, the fact that you're winning now, that's also a thing that I've learned is like the fact that everyone is using your thing now doesn't mean that they'll be using it in a week. It's like, mm-hmm. there is like, it, everything just happens so fast, which is something that I've, I've heard a lot of like people that came from the back end being very confused to like, why is there every, like every six months, there's a new JavaScript framework. <laughs> why is there every six months, like cool new stuff? Like who's making this stuff? <laughs> Who, yeah. What is going on? And I'm like, I I don't I don't know. My data tends to tends to stay the same though, so it's it's kind of nice that way. If like you make good, smart data choices, that that stuff can stick around. And sure, if I got to rebuild a little bit of the front end, that's kind of like a lesser big deal than. Yeah. Like, but your client side data store uh, has been through four or five different npm patches. Mm. Started with Flux, and then it went to Redux, and now I have no idea what the kids cool kids use. It's fascinating watching little stuff like this, like Svelte come, we had Rich Harris on the show not long ago and he was talking about the upcoming release. It was it Svelte 3, I think. And it's, it got released and people are pretty stoked about it. I think you all have a, a special sandbox for it on Code Sandbox now, right? Uh, pretty cool. And so when, when something comes out like that, is it like, because it, it feels like fundamentally different than how React handles things or even Vue handles things. So like if you're it, like, what do you, I'd, I'd be interested in just hear what you think about it in generally. But if you're a big player like React and you see like ideas that you evolve like that, what do you do? You know, do you admit like, huh, maybe that just straight up is better. Maybe we should go in that direction. Or are you so bought into how you do things that you you just can't change? But the, I think the main thing that sometimes we forget is that React is built for the community, but first it's built for Facebook. So the way that Svelte is built is that, is that it has a compiler and so Svelte does not, the, the, the reason why it was so fast for us to implement it in Code Sandbox is because we have to compile it in the browser, but Svelte already has a compiler to compile it in the browser. So that's why it took like two days and that was it. Um, yeah, now it looks like I didn't do anything. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, two weeks, five, I mean, two months. Yeah, it's so, it was so hard. I didn't sleep for three days. The fundamental, the thing that I think we keep forgetting about these frameworks is that in the end, 
they're kind of all the same. They're all the component model. None of them work as an MVC. I mean, Angular kind of does, but it's still, by the end, it's still a component model. So everything is just built with components. People just find different ways of doing it. I love that. It seems like that's what's happened in the web industry is that if there's one thing that's been decided, it's that. It's that components are are the way to go. And it happened on the JavaScript side and whatever, like front-end development, but it also happened on the design side and the people are like, design systems are great. Let's build them in various sized nested components. But that was also, I think, also because of the JavaScript community and like the the whole people that are doing the front end started doing things in components. And instead of needing big ass uh, uh, like sketch files or Figma, I don't know what people use. We use Figma. Um, Like they Mm -hmm. just needed that tiny component and people started seeing how much it was actually, because the thing is, the designers pretty much have always done this. They just didn't know we wanted them. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so into it. I think that I think there's some synergy happening in the industry now that, that yeah, you that's know, the thing. Even Figma, like, oh, the you app. Want this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't yeah, to you. Oh, that's great. Here you go. This is great because that's how, for example, that's how Sketch works. You have components in Sketch. That's how right. Figma works. You it have does. like. Yeah, you have like a library and then you have your components, but like the JavaScript world didn't work like that. And then it started working like that. And like, it's just like, it slowly came together a bit more. And there's also good things in Figma and Sketch, at least that lets you just copy the CSS. Like it's not perfect, but it's a huge help. Like just remember going on Photoshop and just saying like, oh, that's 14 pixels. of. So it seems like there's some things that we're deciding upon, right? Like this component model is great and all that. Let's build websites. No matter what we do, let's do it like that. And what's less shaked out is the best way to like, I don't know, get HTML to the browser essentially, or like where the website should be rendered at all. Because And they're so different that it can be as extreme as, you know, the single div, nothing ships, your bundle arrives, and rendering happens or something more jam stacky where the whole thing just arrives and it's rendered later or maybe there doesn't need to be JavaScript at all. Depends on the site. But those things seem so different from each other. I wonder how you think about that. Like, is that, is there a good answer? Is that going to shake out? I think the thing is, it's, Gatsby actually, I think, helped so much. Mostly because it is, like, it's not a good idea to just send the div. Like, it's not... It's just done. <laughs> it's not the best thing you can do. And it's not even because it's a div. You can put it as a main. It's still bad. Um, but server-side rendering is painful, to say the least. <laughs> like, why Why is this? Isn't that unfortunate? Like, isn't there an alternate future in which that we, we did all this smart stuff, but we made SSR, like... Uh, first-class citizen from day one. You're like, wouldn't that have been nice? But th- that, that would have been great. But we're very lazy human beings. And that's why I think a lot of the websites, and like a lot of the websites that I make, the small ones, like are all in just like, when you get the page, here's a bunch of JavaScript. <laughs> yeah. Here's the JavaScript. You don't have any JavaScript. Oh, no. But now <laughs> I feel like I do everything in Gatsby. <laughs> Yeah. Mostly because it took away a lot of the pain. Like, there's still a bunch of ifs that I got to put. Like, if window is, if type of window is different than undefined, but that's about it. Oh, I see. Because you don't have, because it's, it's run at compile. It doesn't have DOM access or whatever. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, I've done uh, other websites that were on SSR, and that was, that was painful. But also, I think Gatsby is not as painful because it has a very big plugin system. So, like, mm-hmm. for example... One of the things that you always need to do in SSR is if you use CSS and JS, I use style components, you always need to render them on the server. Otherwise, that kind of looks like crap Mm. because you basically only get the HTML and then your browser's like, oh, there we go. Here's some CSS. Not pretty. Um, Yeah, you've kind of skipped the normal rendering path, right? Like normally the browser knows how to deal with styling very efficiently, but it doesn't know, in this case, it just has to load some JavaScript and that JavaScript then finds the elements that it needs to apply the styles to later or whatever. You've kind of invented your own rendering path instead. Basically, because what what the style components and emotion do is that they give you style tags that they basically just paste on your head. And so your HTML is like, wait, what's that? 
and then it's like, oh, that's CSS. And then it has to like render the CSS. So you get first paint, which may have some default CSS that you put in, and then you get the JavaScript, and then you get the CSS again, and your browser's just like, I have no idea what's going on, but I hope you love this. But in Gatsby, <laughs> there's a plugin, and that's it. And yeah. you don't have to cry about it anymore. And no one can say that because you use CSS and JS, you're evil, because they don't know that you're using CSS and JS, because it's already there. Yeah, it's server-side render. It's already there in the HTML yeah. that you are, are yeah. Yeah, I'm building a little Gatsby site, so I'm I'm f- figuring this stuff out for the for the first time for me. It's it's kind of interesting, like to think in that way. Like you know, in, like most of the time, you can kind of just ignore that you're in an SSR environment and you're just building it yeah. like you would no matter what, and in React, which is nice. And then once in a while, something comes up that you're like, oh crap, that's right. This is like yeah. recompiled, so I can't do that. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I'm finding the learning curve a little heavy, but it's only because I'm not, you know. No, it is, it is, it is, it is. I feel like, but that's something that the Gatsby team has already corrected. It was like, they used to use the tagline of as in like, the easiest way to build, and no. Yeah, not really. But it is cool because it means that I get to work in components. Unlike if I were to pick something like WordPress. WordPress, I love WordPress. I, I'm a big fan. I've built my career around sites and WordPress sites. Like, I get it. I I still like it. I think there's a lot of advantages to it. It does not help you at all with a component-built structure. Not at all. No. Unless you no. get really weird and, like, bring it on your own. I mean, like, I feel like that's a little strong because there are ways to bring that to WordPress if you really wanted to. But it it does not deliver them to you. You know? Yeah, I feel like the only um, the most common way is to just use WordPress as an API, right? And this, you build your own front end and call it the WordPress. Even API. Gatsby can do that if you wanted yeah, to yeah, use yeah, WordPress yeah. as the like CMS. Gatsby, I think this is how people used to do it. If they really wanted like a view or a React front end, they would have to get that WordPress API plugin and then like hook it up themselves. Pretty much, I think. Yeah. Right. Hey, hey, hey! WordPress has at least three components: Git header. Get footer and get sidebar. I don't see why y'all are complaining. It also has get head. You forgot get head. Oh, yeah. Just the top. There is stuff like timber, you know, timber for whatever that's like a twig thing for WordPress that like kind of brings this world to it that I I think is cool. I think I'd probably tend to go that way, but I'm not sure. Like if I was was tasked with making an entirely component-based WordPress site, I don't know what I would pick. It would either be something like Gatsby using WordPress the API or or just do it in PHP and find some templating thing to help me. I don't the, know. The good thing about Gatsby is that they're building a thing. I think it only works with content. I'm not sure, so I'm going to shut up. But um, they're building the preview thing, which you know when you preview stuff in um, like the, the, the quote-unquote bad thing when you're actually making a blog, if it's like a huge blog with Gatsby, is that you can't preview stuff. Because right, it's on build right. time. So if it's like connected to Netlify, you need to wait for Netlify to build and then preview, which is something they're fixing now. Like they're building a preview stuff. That's so, really good. I work yeah. in the same office as Craft CMS. So Craft is like a WordPress competitor, sort of. You know, it's like it's a nice, it's PHP based, but it's like really good at content modeling and has lots of great plugins and stuff as well. And they are very aware that that's one of the big reasons that you'd pick a CMS like Craft is their their preview tool is so good. That you can you just you you enter some data or whatever and you can see exactly what you did on the rendered front end of that and you do give up some of that and it's not just in Gatsby it's in anything really oh yeah 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 and anything that's static like yeah. it's not a Gatsby thing is anything oh okay there we go Gatsby site and hosted its source on GitHub and then you can use I think Contentful Sanity or GitHub to add a site a preview site. Right, and Contentful and Sanity are just little, like, CMS heads, so that could yeah, probably yeah, yeah. be fl- flopped out with whatever, you know, Forestry or Netlify CMS or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Netlify CMS uses GitHub as its source of truth, actually. Am I mansplaining? No, 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 not at all. Uh, uh, well, no, because it's not, I don't think it's GitHub. It's like a Git, it's like Git, it's, it connects to Git something, you know? <laughs> like yeah, it uses it's a Git some, thing. It's a Git thing. Yeah. Like it just saves it to Git. I don't know if it actually uses the GitHub. It's like a Git thing. Yeah, it's, it's fancy, though. I have it on a site, and I, I think it's definitely like the fanciest. It's, it's outside of my comfort zone. It's like, add a CMS to your site. Add this index.html file to a folder called admin or whatever, and it just works. 
because it's it's a react it's a it's an SPA React app, and everything it does is JavaScript magic, including the Git stuff, which blows my mind. It's amazing. Also, I think the like I I think I've only realized the actual power of Netlify when someone was like, "We want a form," and I was like, "Oh crap." And then I went on Netlify and it said Netlify forms. And it literally was just like some tags in your HTML. And I had forms. And I was like, what is going on? This yeah, is amazing. That's a, it's a nice way to do it. And it works without JavaScript if it needs to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. It uses a fetch, like a normal fetch, if there's no JavaScript. It's incredible. I love it. They're yeah, making it's it really so well easy done. now. They're making it so much easier than it used to be. And it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny with this this forms thing. It must have been in the water, right? Like, well, it always has been. In fact, my first startup job that I ever got was uh, Wufu, which is still around. And Wufu's oh, a yeah. a form builder thing that you you go to their site and you drag and drop and build the form that you want, and then you paste it on there. And it's I think it's more relevant than ever, really, because. You know, there was a time when maybe like things were like, I don't know, if WordPress takes over the world, well, WordPress has its own form building plugins and stuff. And you might be more suited to use those because then all the data from the forms lives in the WordPress database. Yeah, and maybe that's sense. nice to keep in hot. But now that the world is moving more and more jam stacky, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I don't know. It seems like a phenomenon. No, that's I think happening. it is, yeah. The Wufu is super relevant again because, I mean, sure, you use Netlify forms, but just in case you didn't or couldn't or you needed more, like, power than that, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, you use something logic like Wufu. Or yeah, and you drop it on there and ready to rock. The biggest thing that I remember about Wufu is that they had this HTML5 input thing that I kept looking up. Ah, oh, that was me. I did that. Mm. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I used that so much <laughs> on the input. You form, know what? Like, I think that there's a, a better story here because I was invited to, or I I, I, I built that thing with my, you know, at, while I was at Wufu and whatever. And we submitted to talk at South by Southwest like 2010 or something. And we got admitted to it. And I went to Austin, Texas, and that's where I met Dave. Hey, Dave. Oh, nice. Hey. Yeah. All came from Wufu and are. HTML5 yeah. forms. Yeah. Inputs. Inputs. <laughs> it, they were great. <laughs> Thanks, inputs. <laughs> What's, um, this is pretty, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, uh, we're very close, uh, Paravel, at my company, as, like, to never recommending a CMS ever again. Um, just because, uh like these static site, these Jamstack kind of things are, are so uh, powerful. I would say Paro- Jamstack plus Paravel is a good match. But it, it's just, they're so like, you can do so much, you know, as long as, but but eventually you hit somebody who like needs an editor, like a visual editor. And so um, eventually you have to like give, I guess, release control. But man, if, if companies could hire, you know, like a, a, crew of junior developers to take word docs and put them on the website. Oh, it'd be so, so much better and probably save you a lot of headaches. Cause you just, uh, I don't know. I, even I'm like, I'm talking all over the board, even like giant enterprise sites could probably just be mowed down and made into like a jam stack site. I just don't, it's so, I don't know. And then you just change it and it deploys through GitHub and it's like done. Did you break something? You just, uh, change it again and deploy it again. It's easy. I have, I have like, I, there is a, uh, so one of the health providers here in Germany is called TK and TK apparently is the most used health provider, like health insurance thing. Uh, we have health insurance by, by the government. I don't really understand it. In Portugal, you just got a number when you were born and that's it. That was just it. And I was just very confused right now. But the point is, <laughs> you know what they use for forms. Like if you say like, I want to sign up for TK, they redirect you to type form. Hmm. So, yeah. anything can be Jamstack, wow. even the biggest health provider of health insurance in Germany. And when, if you want to make a call, they use Zoom. And I'm like, I'm weirdly proud of this company. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's smart. Yeah. They're just like, you know what? Forms aren't exactly our thing. We've had some bad experiences. Yeah. We'll just use Typeform. It would be awesome yeah. if all their email addresses for their employees were just like namespaced, like tk-chris at gmail.com. <laughs> no, they're not. They have actual emails. Oh, no, they don't emails. They don't believe in emails in Germany. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. That's new to me. <laughs> you can't give out your email in Germany. No, man. It's a privacy law. You need a, so it, you need, um, you need a house. <laughs> yeah. GDPR. It's, uh, 
I wonder if uh, make frontend shit again dot party is a gem stack. So is that real? No, it's Nuxt. <laughs> no way, really? Nuxt. It's Nuxt. Yes, Nuxt. Oh, who would have ever guessed that? That's hilarious. I have no uh, idea why I used Nuxt at the time, but it is Nuxt. It's an SBA with Nuxt. Yeah. What is Nuxt? Tell us. I don't even, I mean, I kind of know, but I'd rather oh, you Nuxt tell me. Oh, Nuxt is a, um, so if you've never heard of Next, Next is a, a, a SSR thing for React. And Nuxt, no, but, oh wait, no, it is Jamstack, technically, because Nuxt has a generate. Uh, so Nuxt is pretty much that, but they build on top of that and build a lot of more stuff, but for Vue. And Nuxt actually has a generate thing, which basically generates the actual HTML files. So it's technically Jamstacking. Yeah, it's a Jamstack file, but it doesn't do any requests. It just shows a bunch of like weird images, and that's it. Uh, it's great. Uh, I like the spirit of that site for sure. You know, like just things have gotten a little boring lately, huh? Maybe we're too, or maybe we're thinking in components too much. You know, we need to start thinking in gifs again. Absolutely, position gifs. Yeah, are they? Abso- are they are some of them are. <laughs> I don't know. They just it looks like that. You know. No, some of them are pr- pretty pr- much likely. What I've also realized is that you shouldn't shame people for using absolute position if they know how they're using absolute position. I use a lot of absolute position. I feel like over the time. I started using absolute position when I didn't know what I was doing. And then, I mean, I still don't know, but you know what I mean. And then yeah. I stopped because I was told that that was wrong. But then I was like, wait, if the parent is relative, I can do what I want. Yeah, I am free. See, there's always a learning curve like that, isn't yeah. there? Like I, I used it, learned I was using it wrong. Then my response was, I guess I'll just never use that. And then it turns out that the answer is, you know, more baby bear. Like just no, the porridge needs to be just the right temperature, you know, use it correctly and you're all good. But I didn't know how to use it correctly. I just know, knew how to like put things in the thing, but never worked properly. But now it does because the parent is relative and it's great. But what if all of a sudden you want to, at a breakpoint, then absolutely position something to the parent above that, you know? It's tricky then. I feel like I, just the other day I had that where I was just like, this is nice right now, but ultimately I want to like stop the context of the position relative parent and be able to all of a sudden absolutely position on the parent of that. Yeah, so my, my reasoning, my thing is that I only use position absolute if the immediate parent is relative. Right. If it's not, I'm like, no. Yeah, if I'm you're three cry. levels up, it's a little scary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. That that that's my that's my threshold right there. So React is winning. Vue's doing pretty good too. You know, Angular's maybe the more segregated of the communities, although I, maybe that's not fair. I don't know, but I I definitely hear less about it, even though it's huge still. I feel like Angular is more used by enterprise. That's uh, I think that's why we hear less about it. We don't really talk about. Enterprise. I, uh, I'm working on a project or two. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, like even for this show, it was like, who can we talk to about Angular? You know, and Simona, like, get Simona Cotton. She's great. I love her. All right. We'll get Simona on. But yes. Definitely. It was like the, like the gears turn slower, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 You're just like, okay, who is the, who's like on the tip of my tongue? So, um, we can do that, but I, yeah, but I'm in working on an Angular project and it's, you know, it does have that enterprise feel. Angular but what is in the, so, so one is gone. Seven. Right? Yeah. Seven. I think it's yeah, seven now. Angular one is bad news. Angular two was a bit of rough stuff, but they kind of just call it two plus, I think. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's Angular so JS and Angular, I think. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. And yeah. Angular is the, the new one. The you don't say JS anymore. You just say yeah, Angular. Yeah. You just say Angular. Yeah. I think that's it. And, um, but it's uh, like, I, there was some news at IO, I just kind of grifted. So this is not really great <laughs> reporting, but, uh, the, the big push is Angular eight is, is like mm. making Angular great again, just cause it, it's going to be like fast rendering kind of had the modules, no modules sort of set up going on. Uh, polyfills will be lower. Cause right now, like you do, <laughs> you do Angular, it comes with like 500 kilobytes of, of polyfills and stuff like that. It's really 500. Um, it's a lot. It's may- maybe not that much, but it's a lot. Yeah. So, it has a lot of polyfills um, because it supports really older browsers. But so this, like all of the events in react are actually synthetic events because of like some older browsers that didn't support mm. like the normal event listeners. 
And that's why React DOM mm-hmm. is like slightly bigger. And that's why actually web components don't work uh, with React and they work with Vue, for example. I think. Because, because, because they kind of had their own. Yeah, because they did their structure. own like synthetic event thing. Yeah. I heard that was for React. That's the first time I've well, actually but... understood why that's the case. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh. Every time. I got real mad, so I had to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, but they say Angular 8 has Ivy, which I think is more like almost kind of using this lit HTML sort oh, that's of, nice. uh, API for uh, writing DOM, I guess. Um, but well, I don't I don't know, you know, I don't believe it till it's like out and I can play with it. But Angular 8 is supposed to be a bit of a, a game changer for them. But. Which is, I feel like most uh. of the things are running through, like in Vue, you can already use web components, like inside of Vue and they work. In React, mm-hmm. they're also making strives to make that work. Because I think everyone's just realizing that there's a common like language. So if I create a component, I can, like the ideal world would be that I could plug it into Angular, React, or Vue. So I think all the frameworks are actually working a bit together to try and figure out how this could work. So then you can just use whatever wow. you want for yeah, for state that's, management. So that's your and vibe. Forms. That's great. Yeah, like uh, like the React community, React sorry, the JavaScript community has like weird hates, but they always end up like cohabitating together, <laughs> which is nice. Well, it's uh, we, I think we've discussed that a number of times. Like, is the like web components are platform, and the platform is pretty pretty generally good about like evolving things, not deprecating things. And so the fact that web components are in now and there are lots of browsers supporting them means they're pr- probably definitely not going away ever, you know? So whether the, are, are they solving all kinds of great problems right now? I'd argue that they're not. They're not compelling developers to reach for them. But it's now standardized. So like, and they do deliver some interesting things that a framework never can. The Shadow DOM is a platform thing. It cannot be replicated practically. So it's like pretty cool that like, okay, now that they're here, like maybe the rest of these frameworks can get on board with it. I think of it like like ES6 imports. Like they're not a great idea to ship in production because it's like they make their own requests and it's like people are like, don't use that, just bundle anyway. But now that they're standardized, all the bundlers understand that syntax and use it, you know? So it's like you got to standardize it and then things evolve from that. And it's nice that that seems to be the vibe. That I, I think like in my in my, my opinion of what I use web components, I mean, I would use web components, but then put them in React or Vue so that I could get the whole thing of having the state management, having like an actual framework behind it. But the actual component could be used by anyone. Right. So there's this there's this thing stencil. Have you seen stencil? Like they've been I've been talking with some people from them, but they're like an API for web components, but their latest push is to be like use us because it makes your web components better in some way. But then but that doesn't mean don't use React or Vue or Ember or whatever else. Like use web components and us and them all together, which I don't I don't quite get the 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 vibe to it yet, but that's only my own ignorance. It's not cuz it's bad, but it's kind of like you know, web components don't give us enough, so you know, give them some some love first. But that doesn't mean don't use React. I guess because web components don't have any type of state management or anything, like as in like global state management, or re re rendering or anything, or re rendering or help with any of that stuff. So you yeah. kind of need both things if you want to make it like an entire application. But the beautiful thing is that, for example, if you make a design system. They can be in web components. And if your team decides they want to switch from React to Vue, no one is going to cry because they can just use the same components. That's Stencil's whole rallying cry is that people think in design systems, build the design system with web components, then sprinkle on your framework on top of that. Now, I'm a little nervous of that because that seems like a pretty thick stack for just something. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's fine. I don't know. I mean, the thing is that it depends. Like if you have a huge company, if I have an example of a a friend here that works at a huge company... And they have a ton of products and some of them are in Angular and some of them are in React and some of them use CSS and JS and some of them don't. And if they had web components, they didn't have to do all the hacky things they did (laughs) to get everything to work together and they don't have to refactor those components. I feel like it makes sense when you have like, imagine several products, but you have to keep the consistency between the products. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, Like that's why something like Lightning Design System doesn't 
just chose, they didn't even go JavaScript at all. They said, this is only an HTML and CSS framework because we know that it's going to be consumed by such a wide variety yeah. of, of things. And they even went as deeper than that and said, we're going to make design tokens, which is a fascinating concept. I think Gina Bolton was involved in the early thinking around that, which is like, we're not even, that transcends even HTML and CSS. We're just going to have like JSON describe colors and padding and situations like that in case this design system also needs to be like an iOS native thing or something like fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also like the direction that um, design systems are going. Yeah. It seems like it. It's making it as agnostic as possible, which is good. No more fighting over frameworks. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully. It does seem like there's like value, you know, everyone's doing components, but each is doing it a little different way. And I think it's kind of nice because like, I I like the view way maybe more than the react way. And so like, it's all very similar, I think uh, when it gets munged down, but, but the authoring experience is just a little bit different, you know? Like VF statements and stuff like that is like I, okay. I, like I really this. like that. Yeah. I really like VF statements actually. Yeah, I'm really into that. Yeah. So it's just like minor thing. Those minor nuances are kind of actually, I don't know. They're fun or they're nice, I guess. Yeah, but th- those tiny nuances should be what drive you to the library. Basically, that's I think that's what web components are like trying. I think web components are trying to take over the world, but that's kind of like what's not going to happen. But Right. Um, it's just. I think or, it's the same idea as Wasm. Like you should combine it with something else. Like you can build your entire website using Rust, but like, should you? <laughs> <laughs> should you do that? I mean, maybe. I think the answer is yes. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It'd just be interesting to see one of the frameworks or a new one or something say, "We're going to give you all that stuff that you want," and it, but it's based on native web components. But everything else, but we're going to give you everything else too. All the re-rendering, all the fancy syntax that you want, maybe a styling solution, a routing solution, a state management solution, all that. But your components are still Dave-Slider, you know? I really like the fact that um, web components come with shadow root CSS, which basically is like the scope thing yeah. in, uh, mm-hmm. in view. And I'm like, that's great. Thank you for coming up with like a CSS way of like, doing things because I feel like that's the thing that a lot of frameworks forgot when they built the frameworks. They were like, are people going to style this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or they scope it, but they don't uh, do it well enough, right? Like it's not a platform thing. Like it's fine to scope your selectors. That's a pretty good solution, really. Like yeah. I think the styled components situation is, a, or or a, what's it, CSS modules is a, awesome. Like I can't sing enough praises about it. Super dumb little system that just scopes your selectors and that's all it does. And it does a great job at that. Um, but to do it at the platform level where it's kind of like almost like a little iframe, it's not quite, but it's like you can't screw it up because you can't yeah. accidentally write some CSS elsewhere that like penetrates in and starts screwing stuff up. It's like actual an actual boundary. Pretty cool. You can't global things anymore. <laughs> not like you used to. <laughs> not like you used to. <laughs> Uh, well, this was a this is the best conversation I could have hoped to have. Thanks so much, Sarah, for coming on. Dave, do you have any uh, things to say? Yeah, sorry. Thank you so much. I think yeah, I, I like have a lot of. Uh, thank you for sharing your perspective because it, it feels it's cool to like kind of round out the the kind of view of kind of what's going on in JS land. So appreciate that. Um, but for those who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Okay, so uh, the best way to give me money is to give Code Sandbox money. So you can become a Patreon of Code Sandbox. <laughs> but uh, I'm usually on Twitter. Um, but I made it when I was about like 21. So I thought I was really cool. And my Twitter handle is NikitaFTW with two Ks. So it's like Nikita for the win. My parents wanted to call me Nikita, but for Portuguese law, you cannot call Portuguese people non-Portuguese names, and that's why we all have the same name. It's a law? It's a law, yeah. You cannot. Wow. So, like, if I marry someone that's from America, I can call them Portuguese or American names, for example. It's like, it's it's an actual law. (laughs) Well, that's new to me. That's incredible. There's a list on the internet. Yeah. It's just weird. But that's why everyone is called Maria and João in Portugal. 
Hmm. <laughs> it's, those are the only two in like five in of them. Sada? There's a lot of Theras yeah. as well. There's a lot of us. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, cool. And uh, yeah, I definitely feel you on the, I picked a username in my twenties and now I'm stuck. Yep. So (laughs) on that note, thank you uh, very much for coming by the show. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or choice. Be sure to start hard favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at shop talk show for tens of tweets a month. Hey, shop maniacs. We got a job opening. We want to tell you about, this is a remote job, so you can do it from anywhere. And it's at code wizards HQ, which is like a coding education for children thing. So you'd be an instructor teaching classes, six to eight students per class, ages eight to 18, and they just provide it all. They just need you, somebody who knows the code to teach it, but they have a curriculum, they have a platform, they have all the instructional materials. Your job is just to teach the students that those materials, which is stuff like HTML and CSS and Python and JavaScript, jQuery, MySQL, Bootstrap, stuff like that. It's 20 bucks for an hour-long session, so it's a you know, it's remote, do it from anywhere kind of thing. And and that's the compensation for it. So the link is in the show notes if that, you know, can fit in with uh, the rest that you do. So you new instructors, maybe two to three classes a week that they're saying uh, and 12 weeks in duration for for one course. So that's uh, the link is in the show notes. That's Code Wizards HQ. They're looking for a coding instructor. Could be you. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Oh, shoptalkshow.com.